What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Ravel Potty, back again. I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, we're back with another episode, and this is going to be a new sort of episode again. We're going to start a series, probably going to be one of our longest, longer series that we've done. Uh, probably the longest one since the actual NFL season as we start uh, heading into the summer and soon we're going to see training camp and stuff. We're t- going to talk about all the QB rooms in the league, essentially, now that it's all kind of set, set and done with the draft being over. Uh, and we're going to get started with two of the QB rooms that we think are on the worst end of the spectrum uh, in the Falcons and Cardinals. And if, if that's all that needs to be said, PD, I'll let you get started on the first team. Yeah. Um, so kind of just uh, looking at our thought process here. So basically what we're doing is um, we're looking at all of the quarterback uh, rooms or their depth charts. And we're saying if we took the players in this, in this room uh, in a vacuum, which quarterback room would add the most value? That's kind of what we're thinking. Yep, pretty much. Um, and as as you could guess, um, the best quarterbacks will be exponentially better as you go up and up the scale. Um, and the two teams today, obviously, they don't really have strong uh, starting quarterbacks and or proven commodities at that position, um, which is why they're ranked so low. Um, and kind of as we go up and up the scale, it'll become more and more of an emphasis on the starters. Um, but as you're at the lower end of the spectrum, uh, you kind of have to split hairs with these depth guys. And um, we ended up with our last place team being the Atlanta Falcons. Um, so I'll just quickly go over what the Atlanta Falcons depth chart is. Um, they have Desmond Ritter as their starter with Taylor Heineke as the backup and Logan Woodside and Felipe Franks rounding out that third string and fourth string um, in that quarterback room. So um, let's go through kind of um, the stats that they put up last year and what we can kind of look into in each game to project for what they're going to do this year. So, um, I'll start it off by reading about what Desmond Ritter did last year. So Desmond Ritter completed 63.5% of his passes, going for 700 yards, 708 yards in total. Um, he threw for two touchdowns with an 86.4 passer rating um, with a QBR uh, from ESPN of 49.8. Um, so in terms of production and, and scoring points in the context of the offense, uh, still below average, even though... The Falcons have an elite offensive line, um, two really strong receiving options in Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Uh, the depth was pretty lacking beyond those two, but um, would have probably expected more for um, a strong NFL quarterback. But he is a rookie, so uh, we do want to give him some more credit there. Um, and the stats that I mentioned were in four starts um, that he had. And moving on to Taylor Heineke, um, he's a little bit more of an experienced guy uh, as a backup He completed 62.2% of his passes for 1,859 yards, um, threw 12 touchdowns, six interceptions, um, and had a ESPN QBR of 44.4 with a passer rating of 89.6. So we can immediately kind of see like um, there are some some clear flaws with this quarterback room with um, Ritter being an inexperienced rookie who didn't show um, anything special, um, if not um, nothing spectacular at all. Um, and also, uh, a guy in Taylor Heineke who I've been, I've been quite low on, um, because I don't, 
I don't really find his decision-making process and his feel to be particularly good. Um, so we're kind, of, we're kind of looking at those two and thinking like we're not really sure how much value that they're going to provide. And before we get into the game-by-game game breakdown, do you want to add anything else, buddy? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say before we get into that. I just want to say like, yeah, with the QB room here, I agree with it uh, being the worst one in the league. Pretty much a lot of what you said, Desmond Ritter obviously didn't really get to play till towards the end of the season. Uh, he was kind of sitting behind Mariota, and even coming into the year, Desmond Ritter wasn't particularly seen as like one of the better prospects. He kind of shot up rankings in that final year of his college career because Cincinnati had such a successful season. Uh, but he didn't particularly do anything in the few games he played that drew eyes to him. Uh, he is going to get his first full season here. So I did, do think this is kind of the Falcons uh, giving him a chance this season to see what he can do uh, before they decide to move on or, you know, stick with him, whatever the case may be in the future. Uh, they're building around him a little bit. They have gotten plenty of weapons and I think they're just giving him a chance here and with Taylor Heineke, I also agree with a lot of what you said. I'm not too high on him at this point in his career anymore, uh, given his age and kind of like what he's shown. And even the fact that he kind of just got ousted in that commander's QB room last year when uh, it wasn't a particularly good QB room in general. Um, a lot of those guys didn't end up re-signing or having uh, starting jobs right now. Uh and that Washington team was trying to compete for a playoff spot and a big reason why it didn't, uh, I guess, seal the deal is because of Taylor Heineke. And it goes without being said with Woodside and Felipe Franks. They really don't have much QB experience for us to talk about at the moment. Uh, it would be a really tough situation if they did have to rely on those guys. But with that being said, Petey, I'll let you get started uh, with some of Desmond Ritter's games last season. Okay, so yeah, so before I dive into um, his his game by game breakdown, uh, just an overview of his skill set as a player from what I've seen. So Ritter, uh, based on last year, was a guy who kind of uh, held the ball and got himself into trouble pressure wise uh, quite often. He was. Uh, among the top quarter of guys that I sampled in uh, getting himself into trouble. And um, he does have good movement skills in the short area. And he is quite powerful um, in terms of um, his frame. But I think that he could do a better job of getting the ball out uh, quickly and um, just kind of making better decisions. And that's definitely something that will come with age. Um, to, be, to be completely uh Fair to the situation, though. He's about to turn 24 this season, and I'm not really sure if his feel can get much better. And um, maybe his more, more of his like command of the offense is, is what I'm looking at um, when I say that. So uh, starting to get into uh, – uh, or actually, uh, let me just reference his, his accuracy. Um, his accuracy was definitely a sticking point coming out of college, and um, in, the, mm-hmm. in the NFL it's been more of the same. Um, he's a physically – capable quarterback but I think that he has some footwork gaps um, and, and his motion isn't hundred uh, percent locked in yet to where he can deliver the ball consistently um, so has issues with holding the ball a little bit um, is a generally smart player uh, but also can kind of get a little bit weird with his delivery um, 
so so that's kind of what I'm seeing trait wise. Anything you disagree with there? Before I get into uh, the game by game breakdown, uh, nothing really that I disagree. But one thing I did like that you mentioned and I wanted to touch on is. Uh, I do think a big reason is accuracy is of so much concern even now is because, like you said, he's physical, physically capable, and a lot of the time, mentally, he is there. But I feel like he struggles a lot in the face of pressure, and that messes up his mechanics. That's where I see his footwork uh, going all over the place. And that's where we start to see those inaccuracies and almost like boneheaded plays from time to time from him. Uh, because at base value, I do feel like Desmond Ritter is a pretty smart quarterback, and I think he is capable of being someone that doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot and uh, someone who's maybe could develop into a game manager type, but I do think the pressure got to him a lot last year, and even when we saw him at Cincinnati go up against some of like the better defenses, because uh, he was in a non-power or non uh elite conference in college football he didn't face a lot of tough defenses and when we did see him go up against them he didn't particularly do well so I think the the biggest like trait or problem with him is his ability to play under pressure and uh that's something he's definitely got to fix going in the next year yeah um last year his his numbers actually went up against pressure but of course it's a limited sample um Mm -hmm. and he looked pretty pretty poor when he was kept clean so uh that's that's also kind of a sticking point for me we don't really know what he's like under pressure because of the sample issue in the nfl um and when he was kept clean it wasn't really the prettiest so i'm going to start with the game by game breakdown and let's go to his first start uh, against new orleans so um this game was a little bit rough he completed 50 percent of his passes for 97 yards um no touchdowns no picks but that doesn't mean for a lack of trying because he did put the ball in harm's way twice um, and he was trying to push the ball down the field, um, average depth of target over nine yards. Um, but really nothing was, was really happening. Tough, tough spot, uh, for a rookie in his first start on the road, um, in New Orleans, which is a really tough stadium to play in. Um, and yeah, he just really couldn't get anything going, uh, took a bunch of sacks, um, that I thought were his fault and, um, not really the most promising performance. Um, but I can say for sure that it does get better from here. Um, as he finds more comfort uh, in the offense. Yeah, not much more I can say about that one. Definitely a very tough spot for him. Like you said, on the road in New Orleans, not only is that a tough spot, but this was down the stretch of the season where uh, the Falcons were kind of out of it. But regardless, this being a divisional matchup, it's always going to matter. And he kind of just got thrown in there in a tough spot. Uh, and I agree that he wasn't really able to get much going. He did try to attack downfield, but he had absolutely no success trying to connect going anywhere more than like 10 yards out, outside of the line of scrimmage. Uh, each pass he did end up completing were either not something that could be consistently producing offense. It was all just you know simple things to get him going, but he never really did get going he took a lot of sacks in this one I think this was a big one uh bit one of the big games that I felt like he wasn't really dealing with pressure well uh just watching him play in this one and overall yeah not a very promising start but given the situation and circumstances 
uh, I do cut him a little bit of slack considering he did improve going into the next week. Because in this one, I honestly don't even think he looked like an NFL quarterback. And that does, does definitely change. Yeah, so moving on to the next week where, again, he's on the road and this time in Baltimore. Again, a tough environment uh, against what was more or less the best defense in the league um, post the Roquan Smith, Roquan Smith trade. Um, and he threw for – he completed uh, 66.6% of his passes for 218 yards. Um, no touchdowns, no interceptions again. Um, he does have a rough fumble in this one on a rush, and um, I, I, I think it's good to avoid those plays because um, even if they are um, a little bit high-variance type of plays, you, you kind of just want to cut those out as much as possible uh, just for – avoiding the things that can get unlucky for you. Um, he was he threw the ball a little bit shorter in this one in general, um, and he was a little bit more accurate, I thought. Um, but again, like not really able to make many uh, big-time plays down the field, um, and that fumble does end up hurting how he played in this game for me. So um, not really the greatest performance to, uh, to supplement what he showed, um, but – um, it does improve even more from here. And this was a better performance in terms of actually seeing the field as a passer um, and, and not putting the ball in defenders' hands um, than it was the previous week. So some growth to be shown there. And uh, he looked a little bit more acclimated to the NFL speed. Yeah, a, a lot of what you said there I agree with, especially with the fact that it being a tough environment once again uh, towards the uh, – end of that season Baltimore like you said was a very very good defense and I was a little bit more impressed with this one compared to last week because despite coming up against a tougher opponent uh he did show out a little bit more his accuracy looked a little bit more improved uh the offense overall really couldn't get going because that Ravens defense was uh very stingy in the secondary and the Falcons didn't necessarily have anybody creating a whole lot of space uh, in their receiver room aside from maybe Kyle Pitts, but even him wasn't, he wasn't really getting particularly used like the receiver he was supposed to. Uh, so overall, this given that situation, given the fact that he was a, at a little bit of a talent disadvantage, uh, I, I was... Uh, mildly impressed with how he recovered a little bit, but he still didn't show anything uh, to me in this one that made me think that he could be a franchise quarterback that could consistently lead good offense because overall, this was still a tough performance to watch uh, given that the offense was kind of out of sync the whole time. It didn't look like Ritter had a good feel of how to get, get things going and but still improvement from the previous week. Yeah, I would say improvement from the previous week is a trend going into the next week as well, um, where he's got his first home game this time against Arizona. And this one went a lot better, in my opinion. Completed 73% of his passes um, for 169 yards. And um, I thought he was he was working with a better supporting cast and against the worst defense. Um, so he kind of looked a little bit more in place. Um, again, he does have a bad fumble on a rush, but in general was good with working the short and intermediate areas of the field through with a, bunch, a lot of accuracy um, and dealt with pressure well, only ended up with one sack um, on nine pressured snaps. So I, I thought he played a lot better and more more of a clean game 
um, than the two weeks prior. Um, he looked a little bit more uh, in tune with the timing as well, instead of just holding the ball like he did in his first game or um, just quickly getting it out of his hand for short passes um, based on the scheme. Um, definitely looked more in control, uh, in my opinion. And um, yeah, the offense just looked better with him at the helm than it did in any of the two previous games. Uh, so yeah, that, that was a little bit encouraging, but again, it does have to be stated. Uh, the Cardinals defense was kind of a disaster uh, last year, and I don't want to take too much away from it in terms of projection um, going into the next season or so. Yeah, I will say, although he like highly improved in this one, kind of like you said, uh, we did talk about how the past two matchups are tough ones, and this was kind of the opposite of that. Not only was it a bad Cardinals defense uh, that was kind of struggling towards the end of the year to even stay motivated because their season was kind of done and they were starting David Blau. Overall, this Cardinals team was not good at this point. So you kind of have to take a little bit of what he did in this one with a grain of salt. However, he did look a lot better in this one. Just in, Even in just spreading the wealth, I, f- I felt like in this one, I saw him read the defenses a bit better than he was in previous games, getting it to different guys. I feel like he was kind of targeting and locking in to the people who were his guys, kind of like Drake London, uh, Cordero Patterson, et cetera. And this one, we actually saw him uh, distribute the ball a little bit more. Uh, He was a lot more accurate in this one. He still struggled a lot with pushing the ball downfield, uh, but despite like, the running game not necessarily getting going for them a whole lot in this one. It was about average for that Falcons team. Ritter was still able to not only put together a solid game, but in in a couple of important drives towards the end of the game, he did come up with points. Granted, it wasn't like a game-winning touchdown drive or anything, but with time ending, he did lead his team downfield, got them a pretty easy field goal, and... Yeah, that was that was a good game for me to see from him because uh we hadn't really seen Ritter go out and win a game. Not that it was not that that's something that is the most important thing for him to do, but seeing him have a clutch drive like that is definitely uh it, it's definitely a positive sign and it shows that he can complete games like that and actually consistently lead offense for the first time. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, that that is um, something that I thought about in terms of um, the kind of growth and, and the trajectory that he he was on, um, and it does get again get better in the final week of the season against Tampa. Now, there there is some important context for this game, and is that Tampa was playing their backups for a significant significant portion of this game on defense, um, and so he was he was going against very weak competition. Um, but this was his best game of the season by far, in my opinion. Um, he threw for 224 yards and two touchdowns, on 63.3% completion, um, with a couple of awesome explosive plays down the field. And he was pushing the ball down the field pretty aggressively overall um, with an average depth of target over 12. Um, only took two sacks with a number of different pressures that he had to deal with um, and had an over, and had a 108 passer rating. Um so yeah, I was very impressed with this performance. Um, even given the context, he played a pretty strong game. Um, didn't really put the ball in harm's way uh, at all. So um, he he finally looked like he was acclimating to the speed of the NFL fully. Um, and if that's the quarterback that we see next year, 
um, they're, they're not going to finish 32nd. I can just tell you that. Uh, but again, the context is that it was against mostly backups. And uh, yeah, we, we need to see more than what we saw there. Uh, yeah, I agree completely that this was easily his best game of the season. And the first game that I looked at him and actually thought like, okay, I could see them have him having him around, sticking around next year. And like PD said, this wasn't necessarily a competitive matchup for the opponent with uh, being the Bucks, because I think the division was wrapped up at this point, being how bad the NFC South was. And Tampa was kind of just content with riding the game out, letting the Falcons do their thing and get to the playoffs, focus on that. Uh, and that, granted, it it wasn't the best competition. However, we did finally get to see Ritter going. We finally got to see him attack downfield. Drake London is obviously going to be a huge guy for him going into next year, uh, especially with that deep game. That's what Drake London is good at. And we finally saw... A monster Ritter, uh, a monster game for London while he's playing under Ritter, and you always always love to see that that connection is going to be their connection for the future, and not only that, much like last game, we saw him spread the wealth as well. He threw threw both of his touchdown passes to guys who weren't necessarily top uh, weapons on that Atlanta offense, uh, which kind of just go even though they were short passes and they were pretty much open both of them. It does go to show that he's getting better at just dissecting the defense and getting it to whoever's open. Uh, I'm excited to see him with even more talent because uh, a lot of what happened in the last two games in terms of him kind of improving was uh, because of how bad the Cardinals and Tampa defense was. Uh, He had a lot more open looks uh, in these past two games than he did in those first two. Uh, But overall, it was definitely a promising game to finish off on and Hopefully he does continue like this. Going yeah, um, yeah, it would be really cool to see him play like this going into next year. So uh, that'll wrap up Desmond Ritter. He projects to be the starter for a majority of the games, um, but they do have a backup who is more experienced than Ritter is, um, even if I do think he's the worst player, um, and that's Taylor Heineke. So um, let's give a brief synopsis of his game. Um, and I'll, I'll let you chime in if you have any disagreements with how I describe him, and then we'll get into the sure. game. So Taylor Heineke is an extremely aggressive quarterback um, for his athleticism slash skill set. Um, he loves to push the ball down the field uh, to a fault. Um, he, he's got some strong mobility to him. Um, I really do think that he's got good speed and acceleration, and he can change direction and even make people miss at times. Um, but I think he has really poor feel in terms of understanding when he can make certain throws and, and when he can't. Um, he's highly inaccurate as well, um, just constantly overshooting his receivers. Um, and he definitely puts the ball in harm's way a ton. Um, and that's always been his biggest weakness, in my opinion. He also takes a number of sacks that I think he should be able to avoid. Um usually running himself into them or not really making the right pocket movement, in my opinion. Um, Just not really a player I'm a huge fan of. Um, But that extreme aggression does kind of fit well with the teams that he's been on so far because they have guys who can go up and make contested plays. Um, Like we saw with Terry McLaurin, um, we're about to see with Atlanta, kind of bleeding into what we're going to talk about at the end with the scheme fit. But 
Um, he does kind of have that aggressive mindset that could unlock some of the contested catches that we saw last year from Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Uh, anything you want to disagree with there about Taylor Heineke's game? No, play style-wise, honestly, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think I've talked about Taylor Heineke before on previous episodes in this pod. But I feel like with a guy like Taylor Heineke, he is better suited as a as a backup because of a lot of what you said. To me, he's a very hot and cold player because of how aggressive he is. Uh, a lot of his offense or a Taylor Heineke run offense is dependent upon Taylor Heineke kind of just making something happen and throwing the ball up to his receivers. He's not going to throw you open. He's not going to deliver an accurate uh, a pass with anticipation and get it to a guy open and breaking on his route. But he will be able to throw it up and kind of give his receivers a 50-50 ball. And a lot of the time, it can. It, that's why uh, Taylor Heineke becomes so hot and cold. Because if it does go his way, if the ball happens to – fall where he needs it to a little bit. Uh, and a guy like, in a, for example, last year, like Terry McLaurin goes up and snags it. Then he looks great because, you know, things go well. His stats look good. However, he does in the same way throw the ball in harm's way a lot. And you get a lot of, you know, stinker games from a guy like Taylor Heineke because he's kind of just reliant on a style of offense that isn't consistent, in my opinion. Uh, but one thing about the Falcons that you did bring up that I, I do find interesting is they do have receivers who fit that mold very well, like you said. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, even a guy like B. John Robinson will be very helpful for him in the run game to kind of help out. So I do think it'll be interesting to see him as a backup here because I think it's a cool fit. Uh, but I do believe he's better suited as a backup. All right, let's start to get into the game by game. So we're starting off with a disaster. Um, even though the Packers ended up losing this game, um, Taylor Heineke was not the reason that Washington won. And um, this is this is a classic game of why I want to use uh, turnover-worthy plays and QB fault interceptable passes instead of interceptions because Heineke put the ball in harm's way five times in this one and was punished for one time with one interception. Um, he passed for 201 yards, completed 60.6% of his passes, did have a couple of awesome explosive plays, but again, putting the ball in harm's way five times plus a bad fumble, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult to generate impact um, the way I'm looking at it. Um, they do end up winning this game because they get lucky and none of the Packers defen defenders can mm -hmm. catch, um, but yeah, this game was pretty atrocious uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. This is kind of the point in the season where the Packers are spiraling, and uh, they recovered later in the year, but at this point they were dropping very a lot of games that they should have won. Uh, and this was one of them. Taylor Heineke put the ball in harm's way, like you said, plenty of times, and the Packers' defense just didn't deliver. Uh, they were very much reliant on the run game in this one. Uh, that a couple of guys who you know picked up a good amount of ride uh, yards made the – uh, offense a lot easier to run for Heineke, despite him being pretty inaccurate in this one. Uh, another thing that really built him out was a huge touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin, which, if I remember correctly, was a really, really good catch by him. It was also a pretty solid throw by Heineke to get it there, but definitely more of an impressive catch, a uh, very contested catch as well, and I think that made his day look a lot better uh, than it would have without it. Uh, 
overall, he kind of got away with one here, but this is kind of that hot, hot and cold play I was talking about with Heineke. I mean, things went his way a little bit, and that's why things ended up going well for the Commanders. But we'll see in later games in this season, uh, that wasn't necessarily the case. Yeah, it's kind of crazy for me how Heineke is one of the most interception-prone guys in the league, and I would still describe him as one of the luckiest guys in the league. So mm-hmm. it kind of gives you some context for how horrible he is at avoiding uh, putting the ball into the defender's chest. Uh, moving on to the next game, this one they go to Indy um, against a rapidly declining team. And while Heineke does play better um, this week than the last week, it was it was still pretty rough. Put the ball in harm's way a couple of times. Wasn't really pushing the ball down the field too much. Took a couple of sacks that I thought were kind of bad um, and was generally holding the ball quite a bit. Um, just really, really wasn't able to um, do much in terms of uh, generating explosive plays on his own. Um, did He did pass for 279 yards on 74.2% completion, um, but that, that interception was his fault and another one as well. So, yeah, kind of still a rough day for me, in my opinion, for Heineke. Yeah, this was one of those games where you just saw Taylor Heineke kind of just unleash that dog in him that everyone wants to talk about and go out and win this game despite a pretty like lackluster performance for most of the game. I mean, the first three quarters of the game, they really could not get the offense going whatsoever. Uh, from what I remember, there was only like one drive that really went well for them, and it was mainly because they had a couple of good run plays there. Uh and that got them downfield and got them that score. Uh, but the Washington defense was really good this game. They kept the Colts to a very low score. And towards the end, Taylor Heideke put together a drive or two to get them 10 points and just came out and won them that game. Uh, I do think his connection with Terry McLaurin was good in this one. Uh, however, just overall still not very impressive given how many mistakes he made and kind of the fact that the win fell into his lap because of that last drive and how bad the Colts were. Yeah, it's just a little bit of a rough one <laughs> again. Um, and it doesn't really get better in the next game because really. this was also a bit of a rough one. Um, Heineke completed 53.6% of his passes for 149 yards, two touchdowns and an interception against Minnesota. Um, and again, not really able to get anything successful going down the field um, put the ball in harm's way multiple times again um, was only punished for one of them um, and the three sacks that he did take uh, I did think that two of them were his fault he was holding the ball again um, yeah just a rough game again um, from a decision making accuracy consistency standpoint from Heineke um, and yeah they, they really didn't have a chance to win with this kind of quarterback play yeah, I think this was honestly one of the more rough games for me to watch this season from Heineke because of how like just slow and boring this offense became uh, because of, you know, Heineke not playing well. And that is con- after, the, after the fact that he did get lucky with one pass downfield, which he kind of just heaved. And I forget who it was that caught it, uh, but he just kind of threw a 50-50 ball down, like 50 yards downfield and got lucky with the catch, and that's uh, part of the reason they had one of their scores. But pretty much throughout the day, Heineke was getting solid field positions, had plenty of chances to advance his team downfield, but he was quite inaccurate in this one. Uh, Once again, made a couple of 
boneheaded plays, which you did mention. And I think his QBR was one of his lowest in this one, only at a 29. Just another very disappointing game from him and kind of, it kind of you kind of see a pattern with him in this one. You see why he's a backup coming into this year. Yeah, uh, that pl- one play you're specifically talking about. Continuing to add to my point about Heineke being one of the luckiest guys, um, he threw the ball into triple coverage, and the ref tripped one of the defenders, leading to the receiver uh, being yes. able to make a play on the ball for a touchdown. Like ridiculous, all time ridiculous play, um, and it, it would only happen to Taylor Heineke. Um, but he does have that dog in him, so I guess it's not to be unexpected. Um, <laughs> moving on to the next week, um, this one, they go into Philly and upset Philly, and this was one of his best games of the year, in my opinion. He threw an absolutely gorgeous ball down the sideline, dropped it in the bucket to Terry McLaurin. Um, he did put the ball in harm's way for an interception, pretty ugly one there, but um, was able to continually push the ball down the field um, with, with success. Um, and I didn't think that the sacks that he took were entirely his fault. Um, he was generally getting the ball out quickly, um, and th- the line kind of sold him a couple of times. So, yeah, strong game from Heineke based on uh, continued pushing the ball down the field um, and the only only one, in only in quotes, uh, turnover-worthy play. Um, so, yeah, not, not, a, not a horrible play, for, not a horrible uh, game from Heineke. Yeah, this game was super duper weird because the Eagles being as dominant as they were last year, I think they only lost once more with the healthy Hurts like the entire season, and that was in the Super Bowl. And this beat the or this stopped the Eagles' unbeaten streak. It was one of the more wild games of the season, considering how up and down this Washington Commanders team was, uh, especially at this point in the year with a guy like Taylor, he- Taylor Heineke at quarterback. Uh, but this was one of those games where things went his way, like I said. Uh, they do every now and then. And today was a lot because of the way he played because he did improve a little bit on his accuracy, and that was just enough uh, for what Washington needed to take this game. Once again, his connection with Terry McLaurin was very good. Uh, pretty much cut was the main, sole reason for a majority of his production, and I do think it's because – that Washington receiving core, uh, McLaurin was probably the only weapon who really uh, had the talent to match up against a really, really good Eagles team. And Heineke just exposed that matchup all day long. Uh, and that's kind of what he's got to do in situations like this. He should have done that a lot more instead of, you know, chuck it up and pray. And he even had some of those in this game as well. But Overall, a little bit more structured offense from him in this one, and that led to that big upset. All right, the next game against Houston, another win. Um, But again, it's not because of Heineke. And again, um, he does put the ball in harm's way a couple of times, once as a runner, fumbles, and uh, does throw a pass to a defender that was dropped. So um, puts the ball in harm's way a couple of times. He does push the ball uh, down the field aggressively, um, and doesn't take any sacks, but I, I still think that um, because of those those two plays, he really didn't do enough to make up for it. Um, and yeah, the decision-making concerns continue to show up in this game, despite the fact that he wasn't really punished for it. So yeah, a good win on the road for the team, but again, uh, Heineke only completing 55.6% of his passes for 191 yards, wasn't really doing much, um, and those numbers aren't really lying um, about how good his production was. 
Uh, yeah, this Texans team was pretty much the worst for worst team in the league for a majority of this season, and this was definitely part of the time when they were terrible, and they had absolutely nothing going on, and that's why this Washington team was so successful, uh, which makes this game a little bit even more disappointing for Taylor Heineke considering how bad this Texans defense is. Uh, he went back to his inaccurate ways, uh, and this was, I think, one of his worst performances in general because of how inaccurate he was against a very bad team. Uh, against this team, I, I felt like his receivers were open all day, and they could have had a lot more success in this one, much like many other teams do. Uh, but a lot of drives were squandered because Heineke was just not putting the ball in the right place. He wasn't really finding anyone. A lot of his uh, production came from like short passes and screens where uh, his weapons were doing majority of the work. Uh, not very impressive a performance for me. All right, let's move on to uh, the next game. This one against his current team uh, in the Atlanta Falcons at home. Um, And I thought he played kind of average in this one. He did put the ball in harm's way once, but kind of did make up for it with some accurate downfield passes. Um, There was a drop in this game that kind of hurts his stats a little bit. Um, Completed 60.9% of his passes for 138 yards uh, with two touchdowns and the one interception, which was his fault again. Um, But yeah, I think that... Um, the fact that the run game was supporting him like this and um, he kind of just took what was there to be had, um, that, that kind of stuff really did help him. And that's kind of like a foreshadowing for what I think he could look like if he's forced to play um, for the Falcons, where um, they will run the ball a lot um, and he's just going to be asked to take what, what's there and, and chuck the ball up a little bit um, to London and Pitts. So um, a little bit of a foreshadowing there as well. Uh, to me, this honestly was another performance that wasn't particularly impressive because uh, this Falcons defense, as we were talking about, well, we didn't really get to, around to it, but this Falcons defense was not very good. And I did feel like they had a lot more open pretty much all day. And I feel like Heineke still defaulted to his short game, not really doing too much with the ball in terms of attacking and we see in games where Heineke is attacking and kind of launching the ball, uh, he we do see some success. And in this one, uh, that aggressiveness kind of went away from so, for some reason. Maybe it's because they were playing a inferior opponent and the run game was working, so they didn't really want to, you know, get in the way of that. But I don't think Heineke had much of an impact in this one. Uh, I would say he did a good job of you know keeping the ball at least, but he did give the ball away once and a pretty bad fashion in my opinion. So overall, nothing really of worth uh, from this game for me. Yeah, I think you do seem to be more volume centric than me when you're evaluating things like, um, and I think it, it does, it does make some sense. Um, but I do lean a little bit more towards like the efficiency side of things, because I think that on, on great teams, which is the ones that are end up that are going to end up winning. Um, you're, you're just going to have to do less by default and, um, showing that you have the ability to crank up the efficiency even if you have less volume is, is important to me. Um, but anyway, moving on to the next game, um, or the next two games where they kind of play the uh, Giants twice um, with a bye week in between. Um, so this first one, he's asked to do a lot, um, like we were just referenced, um, and he does put up 275 yards um, and two touchdowns. But um, 
even despite making a couple of explosive plays, he does have an ugly fumble and two passes that I think should have been intercepted and they weren't because the Giants defense can't catch. Um, so I thought that overall his performance here today was was pretty rough. He took five sacks. A number of them were his fault again, um, despite the fact that he wasn't really holding the ball that day. Um, yeah, I thought that the box score really lied on this one. And it made it look like he had a strong performance when he really didn't, in my opinion. There was a lot of stuff that uh, could have gone wrong if the Giants were able to take advantage of it. Yeah, this one I have similar thoughts on uh, because I think I mentioned it with the game earlier in the year. I think this game kind of got skewed once again because Heineke does have an impressive drive to end off the game, uh, which you could say he's got the dog in him. He came back. Uh, tied this game up and he did have one clutch drive there but I will say for a majority of this game the second and third quarter and a lot of the first as well uh, he kind of disappeared he kind of went ghost Uh, he didn't really produce much offense there in that time period I believe both of those mistakes happened where he did practically give the ball away and just kind of got lucky Uh, that fumble in this one was pretty damn bad uh, overall, I just wasn't particularly impressed with him. That overtime uh, period as well, he once again did nothing. Uh, it was really just two drives in this game, uh, which accounted for a lot of his stats, as well as Terry McLaurin just being really, really good. A uh, couple of big catches from guys like Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson as well. Uh, but overall, once again, this was just one of those games where things went Heineke's way a little bit. Uh, in this tight divisional matchup against a team that honestly they were competing with to get into the playoffs, they did kind of just have to let him loose and let him do his thing to keep them in contention in this game. And to be fair, he did do that. Uh, He did his role. uh, But nonetheless, it still isn't necessarily good quarterback play. And I wasn't very impressed with this one. Yeah, me as well. So moving on to the next Giants game, this time they're at home, um, and it does not get too much better. Um, so this one, he completes 58.6% of his passes for 249 yards and a touchdown. Does make a couple of explosive plays, but again, has a disastrous fumble um, and puts the ball in harm's way a couple of times. But again, neither of them were caught. Um Again, adding to my point about him being lucky. Um, he was pushing the ball down the field really aggressively in this one, and it, it this was a good... Uh, time to um, show the thing that you were talking about with him having uh, extremely high variance games. Um, two tur- uh, two explosive plays down the field, but two turnover-worthy plays plus the fumble, um, kind of showing his aggressive style of play, and he was holding the ball quite a bit for this one, um, which led to th- some of the sacks being his fault as well um, for me. So, um, again, that kind of exemplified who he is as a player. Um, if you wanted to take a look at a game that um, – kind of summarizes him this would be the one to do it in in my opinion yeah to me this game was honestly a slightly worse version of the previous one purely because in the previous one he at least did what I said uh in which he did find kind of find a way to make plays here and there and will his team uh to tie it up in the end uh but in this one I feel like he went ghost after like one he had one drive where he uh, showed some bit of success, and I do believe that was also a drive where he made a mistake uh, and got lucky to get away with it. 
So even then, I, I honestly don't know how he keeps getting away with it. PD did say he's the luckiest quarterback in the league, and this game definitely exemplified that. Uh, but this game, once again, just bothered me because he wasn't particularly trying to push the ball downfield once again. And like I said, that's really the only way uh, this he uh, offense led by him can do anything. Uh, he was having uh he did ha- have a pretty good touchdown pass to Jahan Dotson that was impressive, but still overall with the amount of mistakes he made, the amount of sacks he took, uh, I just can't really say this was a good performance. Yeah, agreed there. Um, and let's move on to his final game of the season, where we have a wild Carson Wentz sighting. Um, after he gets <laughs> benched, so um he passes for. Uh, 72.2% completion for 166 yards. I didn't think he was terrible um, because he did make a couple of explosive plays, but man, the, the turnovers that, uh, or the, the turnover the plays that he did put in the air were disgusting pretty much. Um, three of them, and he was only punished for one, and he also had an ugly fumble. So at that point, I think Rivera had seen enough um, and made the decision to bench him. Uh, additionally, a couple of sacks that I thought were both his fault. Um, just, just pretty ugly performance. Um, even though he did make a couple of nice throws and um, yeah, subsequently was benched for Carson Wentz and did not play again uh, in the year. So, yeah. Yeah, this was 100% my favorite Taylor Heineke game uh, for obvious reasons as a Niners fan. Uh, this was amazing to watch because we absolutely cooked him. Uh, I This was a very impressive Niners team and Niners defense. So uh, I guess there is some slack to be given there for Heineke. But overall, he was just looking like a mess in this one. Uh, the Niners' defense was all over, all, all over uh, this team, uh, and like PD said, it got to the point where he was getting benched. Uh, I think this was kind of the final straw in his career, because even though it was a really good team, uh, it still definitely should not have gotten to this point with him. Uh, overall, just unimpressive performance. All right, so that'll wrap up our summary of each of the games that Taylor Heineke started last year. Um, so kind of the way that we uh, describe these guys, um, we want to give kind of a range for how well we think they'll play this year um, and talk a little bit about how they fit. So I, I think we want to go – I want to go for um, the fit and, and team um, supporting cast uh, first because I want to save that, that the juicy uh, projection for last. Um, so – in terms of how Heineke and Ritter both fit with the team, I think Ritter's fit with uh, the Falcons is pretty decent. Um, he is a big, strong quarterback who kind of struggles um, avoiding pressure. So that can be very much mitigated by the heavy uh, run game and play action scheme that the Falcons run. Um, and he can be somewhat aggressive um, taking shots down the field, but I would would kind of want him to be more accurate with his passes. Um but also, like, Kyle Pitts and Drake London's frames being so so large, it can kind of mitigate some of those accuracy concerns a little bit. So I think his fit with the team is good. And moving on to Taylor Heineke, um, like we said, we, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but his kind of erratic type of play style does actually fit well with um, Drake London and Kyle Pitts' physicality and ability to win contested catches uh, down the field. And he will give them opportunities to win down the field. It's just um, he's not able to... Uh, have complete control and be safe with the football. And, and that's just kind of something that uh, doesn't really fly in any offense uh, if you want to be successful. 
Yeah, with Desmond Ritter, uh, I will say, and we talked about it earlier with him, he's got the physical capabilities. He's got the tools there. He can process defenses. He's a tough guy. He's smart. The problem with him is always going to end up being accuracy. And I think for that reason, this Atlanta team is a very good fit for him. I think they have a lot of players uh, uh, in their receiving core right now that have high catch radiuses, can bail out a guy like Desmond Ritter when he's not necessarily making the most accurate passes. And these guys aren't necessarily route runners as well. They're, their best guys on this team are kind of guys you can throw the ball up to. And having a young, inaccurate quarterback like Desmond Ritter allows you to, when he's in this situation, it allows him to do stuff like that. Like guys like Drake Holt London, Mac Hollins, Kyle Pitts, I feel like fit that build. And like PD said, this is a very play action, run heavy offense. And with them drafting B. John Robinson, you can only assume that will continue. And Desmond Ritter having that to kind of rely on in his back pocket is also a very good fit for him. Uh, I don't necessarily think we'll see a whole lot of success from him anyways, because I do think the accuracy issues will reign supreme. But if there was a team that could do something with Desmond Ritter, it would be this one. And I think Heineke also fits in very well in this team. Uh, for very similar reasons. I mean, I was talking about all season with Taylor Heineke last year. He's a hot and cold player because he's aggressive, and it only works when things go his way. And I think this is a good team where things for can go his way because, like I said with Ritter, he has guys that he can kind of just throw the ball up to and pray and hope for the best. Like, a lot of Heineke's offense la- last year was, fuck it, McLaurin's out there somewhere. And I think he can do something similar with this Atlanta offense. Uh, and I th- I don't think there's a lot of good fits for quarterbacks like Ritter and Heineke out there in the league. And I for somehow they've ended up here. I guess that is good uh, management from the Falcons organization uh, for making that happen. Uh, but overall, still not particularly impressed with either guys. All right, so it's time for the juicy stuff. What do we think Desmond Ritter projects has this year um, in terms of where he might finish in terms of impact? And same with Taylor Heineke. So I'll go first. Um, I think that um, the most likely outcome for Ritter is that he looks like uh, a strong backup or maybe even a low-end starter, somewhere in that range. Um, If things really go well, he kind of improves his feel uh, for the pocket and – continues to work on his accuracy and his mechanics, he could work his way into the mid-level starter range, I think, um, and kind of show that he has some strong value on a rookie contract. Um, Consequently, if we look at more of the floor and and basement level outcomes, um, he could continue to uh, have these footwork issues um, and, and kind of get worse in terms of his accuracy um, and as teams kind of get more fill on him, he could um, just not just kind of stagnate and, and, and look like a lower end backup or maybe um, look like he should be more of a third stringer um, if things go really badly. Um, and then for Taylor Heineke, I, I think that his range is a little bit smaller because he's not a young quarterback anymore. Um, my expectation is that he looks like uh, a backup. For me, I'm lower on Taylor Heineke. I don't believe in him very much as a backup. Um, I think that He's best suited ranked somewhere in the middle of, of the backups in the league, 
But um, if he runs a little bit colder, he could end up looking as a lower end backup. Um, and if he does somehow manage to have more of a hot streak where um, his jump balls are successful and maybe even accurate and, and he's the one creating the play instead of the receiver, um, he could look more like a, a high end backup or a low end starter to me. Yeah, for Ritter, I have a very similar like median outcome for him. I think he'll be like a have high level backup production and maybe sneak into like low level starter project uh, production most likely. Uh, I think high end for him this season is going to be something in like the uh, low to mid twenties in terms of starting quarterbacks or just quarterbacks in general. I don't see him being particularly much better than that. Uh, like you said, he could maybe be a mid-level starting quarterback. I really don't see that happening, even like at his peak improvement, given what I've seen last year, uh, maybe in future seasons, but I won't say that for uh, next year. And in terms of his low low end, I also don't think it's quite as low as you may seem. I definitely don't think he'll end up being third-string pr- uh, level production. I do think the worst he can be is maybe like a – a low end uh second string player to maybe mid level maybe Heineke starts sneaking up towards that point and gets uh playing time towards the end but I highly doubt he gets to that low end outcome either and for Heineke I agree since he's probably not going to be able uh, going to be playing I mean at least that's the expectation uh in that Falcons organization going into the year uh there's not really much opportunity for volatility uh, but I do think he'll be like a mid-level backup for this Falcon Falcons team. I think since the I think the fit is huge for me in where I rank like backup quarterbacks because ultimately to me like that's what matters most more than uh, even talent uh, when you're looking at backup and below guys. And I think Heineke having a good fit, I think he will be a solid backup. Uh, if he does happen to get the starting role, I could see him being like a low end starter. Uh, and it, I could also see him regress even more and on the low end outcome with him being high in age and already having kind of a little bit of reliance on his athleticism to, uh, be a productive quarterback. I could see him fall off and get to that, like third string realm of quarterback, maybe towards the end of the year. Yeah. Um, agreed there. All right, that'll wrap up our Falcons review for what we think will happen for their quarterbacks this year. And let's move on to our 31st-ranked team, um, the Cardinals. So um, a quick disclaimer before we start. This is the worst quarterback room in the league as we look at it right now. But we wanted to give them a little bit of upside here um, just for the fact that they still have Kyler Murray on the roster. And despite the fact that we don't really know uh, what his injury projection is, if he does end up playing like half a season, that would result in something like this ranking, in my opinion, even with the fact that they have Colt McCoy starting with Clayton Toon behind him and David Law behind him. So, um, yeah, we wanted to give a little bit of leeway for um, the ranking of the Cardinals just because of the fact that they have Kyler and he is a pretty strong quarterback when he's healthy. Um, anything you wanted to add before we start getting into Colt McCoy and, and what he can do? Yeah, I just want. I also want to back that up, make it clear. Like, we would not have the Cardinals at 31 had we had a healthy Kyler Murray. But to us, that is very important with Kyler missing half the season. We're looking at, like, what production we're actually going to see for these QB rooms. So I guess that's kind of a rule of thumb looking forward to 
uh, other quarterback rooms we're going to have to talk about later that also are dealing with injuries within the uh, within their camp. Uh, it's definitely a big factor, and that's why the Cardinals are this low. All right. So let's start off by talking about Colt McCoy. So Colt McCoy's been in the league for a long time, um, and I actually really do like his game. I think he's a pretty strong player, and he's someone I would love to have in my room uh, as a backup. Um, he's generally pretty accurate with the football and a good decision maker, but even in his, his younger days, and, and especially now, um, he's very physically limited, um, can get into trouble when he's asked to make tougher throws, and, and that's kind of where his turnover-worthy plays happen. Uh, when he's asked to be a little bit of a creator with both his uh, velocity and kind of out of structure. Um, He is a good fit for these type of Shanahan type schemes. Um, And there's some principles that were emphasized there with uh, Cliff Kingsbury, where they were having short passes, albeit um, worst design ones. So he was good at throwing screens Um, and they, they like to work the middle of the field where Kyle, when Kyler Murray is out of the game. So um, I, I think that, um, I like McCoy, and I and I think that even at his advanced age, it's possible that he he's workable still in the league. Um, what do you think about his game, and and give a little bit of uh, insight in in kind of his fit in the team? Uh huh. So to me, honestly, Colt McCoy is kind of like the poster boy for being a a game manager type of quarterback because of, like you said, the traits he has. I mean, he's always been the kind of guy that can dissect the defense, that can get it to your weapons underneath. Uh, He's not going to get particularly flustered. He's got great mechanics overall, but he's always been average to on the smaller end in terms of his size and athleticism. Definitely one of the least athletic quarterbacks in the league, even including guys like backups and whatnot, especially now. I think he's going to be 37 going into next season. Uh, That's definitely not something you want out of your starting quarterback uh, and definitely something to raise concern. Uh, But I do think he can be a capable just plug-and-play guy because of the way – uh, he plays. I mean, I saw it myself, not this pre- this year, this season, but the previous season. Uh, I saw him come to San Francisco, play a Niners team with a very good defense. And he didn't really do a whole lot in that game. And when you watch him play, you don't see him making an incredible throw. You don't see him do something that pops off the screen. But he'll hit the guys underneath. He'll make the screen passes on point. And... When you have a quarterback like that who does his job, even though like what he does is very limited and because of his age and lack of athleticism, it could lead to mistakes here and there. Uh, you can rely on him to be a smart player uh, and for the most part, protect the ball. Uh, however, uh, I'm not necessarily as optimistic with him on this Cardinals team because I really don't see the fit working out. Uh, with him being older and a little bit unathletic, uh, I think a big reason why that Cardinals offense works with Kyler Murray is because uh, despite having them having a poor offensive line and maybe not like the weapons around him, him at his like ability to make something happen kind of makes that offense work. And Colt McCoy is kind of the opposite of that, uh, which is a little bit concerning. Yeah, uh, I don't think that he's a good quarterback in large sample, um, which is why I think he's restricted to a backup role. Um, And yeah, speaking of large sample, he did have a small sample 
uh, last year with only playing four yeah, games. Nice. So we'll, let's dive right into that. Um, so the first game that he was able to play uh, was at LA. Um, he kind of he played a pretty strong game in this one, in my opinion. Um, he did have an ugly fumble um, on um, uh, on on kind of a, a routine play that I think he shouldn't have, have fumbled on, um, but was very good about getting the ball out quickly, uh, pushed the ball down the field a couple of times for really accurate throws. Um, so those were pretty impactful to me. Completed 70.3% of his passes for 238 yards and a touchdown. Um, just a strong game overall from him. What do you think about how he played this? Yeah, I do want to add one thing that this game was kind of a toilet bowl, despite uh, it being the Rams. It, uh, it was uh, John Wolford-led Rams. And overall, just a point in the Rams season when they had kind of given up. And so I guess so had the Cardinals even at this point, maybe. Both were not very good teams. So he did perform in a very bad, bad game. However, I do think he wasn't necessarily impressive, but he did get the job done in this one. Uh, like I said, he was accurate, even though he wasn't necessarily pushing the down ball downfield. He was getting uh, the ball to his guys. And a lot of uh, this Arizona offense is kind of like horizontal, get the ball to your player in space and let them do their thing. And he was able to do that. Uh, I think him and Rondell Moore were able to get that sort of game going. And I think uh, he was able to connect well with D-Hop as well because D-Hop is just an insane receiver even at this point in his career. And he was getting open for Colt McCoy, and that 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 system was working. Uh, overall, I was slightly impressed by Colt McCoy in this one because I don't really expect much from him. And when you do see a game where he didn't really make a mistake, aside from that fumble, that was a routine fumble that he should not have made. But in terms of passing the ball, I didn't really see him put the ball in harm's way too much. And I think when you're a backup quarterback like him coming in, that is the most important thing. Uh, just get the ball to your guys, get the ball, get the offense continuing, and don't turn it over. And he did that job there, even if it wasn't something madly impressive. Uh, he got the job done. All right. So we were talking about Desmond Ritter's trajectory improving throughout the season. And uh, unfortunately for Colt McCoy, um, like I mentioned, he's a small sample type quarterback. You kind of plug him in um, and don't let defenses get answers on him. And uh, he got worse as the season went on. And it starts with this game against a really strong Niners defense at home or at home in quotes, because this one's in Mexico City. Um, yeah, he threw for 70.6% completion for 218 yards. Um, and he was picked off once that pick wasn't his fault really. Um, and he was able to put the ball, um, push the ball down the field one time for an explosive play, but really wasn't able to get anything going in terms of consistent down the field, uh, pressure of the defense. They resorted to a very short passing type of game in this one, and he wasn't really able to generate a ton of impact took a few sacks that I thought were his fault. He just can't really get out of pressure um, too much at this age. Um, and you could really see the fact that they don't have Kyler Murray uh, in this one. And um, it, it just really hurt the offense to not have that type of mobility out there. Yeah. I'm kind of loving this episode right now. Cause there's back to back players where we are maybe not back to back, but two players in a row we see getting cooked by the Niners defense and this was just another example of that, very similar uh, to the last one with Heineke, 
where Colt really couldn't get anything going. And I will say the, the Niners defense did come out a little bit lazy and lackluster, and Colt McCoy was able to, I, I guess you could say, stat pad a bit early on, which is why uh, box score-wise his day doesn't look quite as bad as it looked on the field. Uh, but this game was definitely one of his, probably his worst of the season, in my opinion, at least. Uh, he ends up having to be benched towards the later half, latter half of this game. And overall, it he they weren't able to really get any offense going whatsoever. And it was a lot of because Colt McCoy's lack of ability to do much of anything on the football field anymore. I mean, the Niners off, uh, defensive line is obviously one of the better ones in the league. They were getting after Colt McCoy, and he wasn't really able to combat that. He wasn't able to shuffle around the pocket, get out of that, or run out of things. Uh, and that kind of slowed his game down overall. And that's what led yeah, I didn't, to the blowout. Yeah, I didn't think this was his worst game of the season. Um, because I think mainly because we kind of viewed the interception differently. I think his receiver really mm-hmm. sold him out. Um, on the interception so I didn't think it was his fault on that one um, and definitely from like a schematic point of view they weren't really trying to challenge the Niners down the field so he didn't really have a chance to make much impact and he kind of worked with what he had um, in my yeah opinion. but I do think a lot of that was because they didn't challenge the Niners downfield majorly because Colt McCoy just came. yeah 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 they didn't yeah, even I, I, try I get that yeah I do I do get that um yeah so let's move on to the, the New England game in Week 14. So Kyler Murray goes down early in the game, one of his first plays of the game, um, tears his ACL, and Colt is inserted, and he has to make a number of plays. Um, he just They just continually relied on him in this one because of the way the game script was. Um, and he didn't play horrible, but there was an ugly fumble in there for him that I thought really cost them. Um or it cost him specifically um, in terms of grading standpoint for me. Um, the interception I didn't think was his fault again. Um, but, yeah, just kind of didn't really generate much impact because of um, the way that he's he's playing. Um, he had a couple of passes where he pushed the ball down the field, and that's helping um, his average depth of target. But um, just really not a great game from him. He was under a ton of pressure, took six sacks. A number of them were his fault because he couldn't really get out of the way. Um, but I do think that uh, the Cardinals O-line did get dominated in this one as well. Um, so some culpability falls on their shoulders as well. Um, but just, like, not really a very impactful game from Colt McCoy at all. Yeah, I will say this is a tough situation for Colt McCoy to come into. Obviously, uh, he hasn't played for a while. That last matchup was, like, midseason, and here we're getting towards the end of it uh, when he plays again. And obviously, unfortunate that Kyler Murray goes down. Colt is thrown in there, so I'll cut him a little bit of slack. But once again, he looked lackluster, in my opinion. I mean, this was another situation where I felt like the Cardinals' offense was extremely limited uh, because of what Colt McCoy can't do. Uh, And a lot of that was to do with that pressure there. Granted, that uh, Arizona offensive line is very bad, I agree. And that's something I was mentioning earlier with Colt. Uh, but I, that's just why I think this is a poor fit. I think with them being unable to block and Colt McCoy being unable to move, it just leads to nothing really going on offensively. Like pretty much throughout this game, we were just getting a sequences of failed offensive drives because 
they couldn't really get going. The Cardinals had nothing to rely on because, I mean, they weren't really able to pass the ball more than five to ten yards downfield at a time. Uh, like PD said, there were a couple of instances where he tried to push the ball downfield and we got a couple of maybe 20-yard gains. Uh, but overall, it wasn't something that we consistently saw and that's why this was such a lackluster performance. All right, so let's move on to the next game, which was – this one was pretty rough. Um, it, it was it was aggressively bad, actually. Um, so the the Cardinals really didn't have a chance. This Denver defense was, was extremely loaded, um, and they were playing really well at this point. Um, and he came in and completed 62% of his passes for 78 yards um, and one interception. And – that that's kind of not even the extent of it because he did throw two passes um, into harm's way and uh, yeah it was just a really rough performance overall they couldn't get anything going um, in the passing game just quick short passes was all that was working um, and yeah McCoy didn't really have a chance to make impact and you could s- clearly see the limitations of of him as a quarterback um, as defenses kind of played closer and closer to the line of scrimmage um, he he doesn't really have the ability to threatened them that much and um yeah he just he's just more of uh, a guy you throw into one game and and hope your starter is fine the next week that's kind of what this game showed to me uh yeah I kind of need to take back what I had said a couple of games ago because this game slipped my mind real quick because this game was actually easily his worst one of the year for me uh, he pretty clearly in this one looked like barely an NFL quarterback here. I mean, that Denver defense, like PD said, was incredible last year, and they were really getting after him. And the funniest part of this was actually the fact that Denver's offense was in a pretty poor position at this point in the year. I mean, Brett Ripien was the starting quarterback. They had already lost their top running backs to injury and were playing with guys that weren't there at the start of the year. So the Cardinals did have a lot of opportunities on offense because both offenses were, you know, not necessarily doing too well. Uh, Granted, Denver's uh, run game was better, and they did end up having more opportunities. But nonetheless, the Cardinals had plenty of chances, and it was just a drive after drive squandered because really all Colt McCoy could muster at this point was screen passes, short slants, stuff of that nature, stuff that could just get the ball out. Uh, His age was really showing in this one. It looked like they kind of just wanted to get in and out of this game, Uh, not necessarily compete, but just get out of it healthy. And just a very, very odd game from him. I do think this was a step below all of his other performances. All right, so that'll wrap up our discussion of Colt McCoy's games. Um, so let's quickly touch on Clayton Toon and David Blau before we do a little bit of a discussion about Kyler Murray. Um, so we did reference uh, Colt, or Clayton Toon uh, in our rookie quarterbacks episode, looking at all the guys that got drafted in the 2023 draft. Um, he has similar strengths to Colt McCoy. He's uh, accurate, smart with the football, can push the ball down the field a little bit in the intermediate areas, but I do have questions about his athleticism in the traditional sense. Um, and I'm not real, usually a traditional athleticism guy, but this one, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's limiting enough to where um, I think that there are plays that you have to entirely scrap out of the playbook because of him. Um, but I do think that he, he could carve out a similar career to Colt McCoy, um, the, the way that he's 
kind of built um, and uh, his projection as kind of a smart player who can deliver the ball accurately. Um, and then touching on David Blau's games really quickly, um, David Blau was was pretty horrible uh, last year, and it especially comes in the week uh, 18 game, now, now that we have 18 weeks in the season. Um, he was just awful in this game. Um, he did complete uh, 77.8% of his passes, but most of them were short ones, and the two interceptions that he threw were absolutely disastrous. Um, and that 180 y- yards is is definitely lying because one of them came on a ridiculous jump ball catch. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he, he was he was horrible in that game. The game before that against Atlanta, it looked a little bit better. He was pushing the ball down the field a little bit, but uh, took a couple of sacks that were his fault, in my opinion, and... Uh, yeah, just just not a very good player in terms of um, really like I, I really don't love anything about his game. Um, I think that he's somewhat capable of being aggressive with the football, but um, that's kind of it with with him. Yeah, I mean, even in the draft episode, I also was not particularly high on Clayton Toon, and I won't bring up a lot of those negatives once again. Uh, I will, I'll focus on one thing I find interesting about him is like PD said, he's very similar to Colt McCoy in play style and could carve out a similar career. But this year in specific, uh, I was obviously pretty low on Colt McCoy and I could definitely see him maybe in carving out some playing time on this team, considering he is a much bigger body than Colt McCoy. And that naturally in itself is going to lend to you know, more a bit of an advantage to him, as well as the fact that him being a rookie and Colt McCoy being in the later years of his career, probably retiring soon. I mean, we saw how limiting the lack of athleticism was for him uh, late in that season. Uh, I could see something going on there, but I will say with Colt McCoy's experience, one thing Clayton Toon most definitely does not have on Colt is – uh, polish, and that's just simply because Clayton hasn't even been in the league yet. Uh, we could expect a lot more mistakes from him that we won't uh, see out of Colt. Uh, so I'm interested to see if he can maybe polish himself during this year and maybe carve himself some playing time while Kyler is out because uh, he does he is in a good position for that to be the case. All right, so let's talk about the quarterbacks on this roster and how they fit with um, the team. Um, and let's start with Colt McCoy really quickly. Um, so Colt McCoy, I don't love his fit with the team. Honestly, he's more of a short passing type of quarterback. Um, and I do think that works with a guy like Rondell Moore. Um, but in terms of how he fits with, uh, Marquise Brown and DeAndre Hopkins and even some of the role players like Dorch and Michael Wilson, um, I, I do think they want more of a intermediate and downfield component to them that he's not really going to provide. Um, and he just kind of, this roster is built for Kyler Murray, um, and his absence is, is really going to hurt them, um, in terms of the plays that they can really run. Um, and same thing with Clayton Toon, um, if he ends up playing, um, and if, if David Blau sees the field there, they're kind of screwed. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how I feel about the fit of the roster. I don't really love it as much as I did with the Falcons. Yeah, very much similar. Similar case for me because, I mean, I kind of already said it. I jumped the gun a little bit, but I think a lot of the reason this Cardinals offense works is because of Kyler Murray's skill set. And both Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon are kind of, or not kind of, they're completely opposite quarterbacks to Kyler Murray. 
And I really don't see how that's going to fit. Both Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon are very stiff and unathletic quarterbacks. And with being all under pressure on all the time and being in an offense that's reliant on a lot of movement and a lot of playmaking, I just don't really see how it's going to work out with those two. I think receivers like Marquise Brown, Rondale Moore, even guys like Pascal, Dorish, a lot of that uh, wide receiver core is, uh, you know, speed type of receivers, guys that'll move around a lot around the formation. And uh, they can be a part of an unconventional offense that uh, is led by Kyler Murray. And when you see guys like Colt McCoy, Clayton Toon, you want more of a traditional offense. And I just think their skill sets completely clash. And I just don't see this working out at all for the Cardinals until Kyler returns. All right. Speaking of Kyler's return, let's talk about it. So um, Kyler Murray tore his ACL in November of last year. It was pretty late in the year. So um, that was kind of a concern. And it led to... Uh, some discussion around the timeline of the Cardinals. And there's even been discussion of um, whether they might move on from Kyler Murray uh, after this year because of the strength of the quarterback class next year. Um, So right now, from all the reports, he does project to return midseason. And just to kind of give a a quick recap of his game, um, he's a strong underneath quick passer, um, but does struggle with vision in the middle of the field. And his, his strength is a concern, um, and he kind of bails from the pocket early. Um, he has a really powerful arm, is, is very mobile. Um, we'll see how that looks immediately after he comes back from the injury. Um, but he kind of uses his mobility and his, um, his, his arm talent to make explosive plays out of structure. Um, and his counter is uh, with the screen passes and the short, short passing. Um, he does have some gaps with his vision and um, could be a little bit of a better processor, in my opinion. Um, but that's kind of how, how he... Uh, operates as a player um and yeah if he plays for half of a season um with what we project as initially kind of poorer play with a still developing roster and he kind of at towards the end of the season looks more like his normal self when he's healthy which is like pushing a pro bowl level player um the cardinals could rank in the mid to low 20s um, with that type of half season impact but the fact that we don't know um, is why they're ranked so low and they, but they do have upside for um, a better ranking than than where they're ranked here yeah like we mentioned before with the disclaimer to even start I mean this is completely uh, dependent on Kyler's injury how he returns from it and speaking of that the way I think he's going to return I think it'll be interesting uh, how he recovers from an injury like an ACL uh, I mean you don't see that a lot in quarterbacks uh, because of like the nature of the position unless there's some freak injury uh, which was the case in Kyler's over here. It was a complete freak injury. Uh, non-contact with in, in many cases makes it even more scary. So to me, my biggest concern coming back, obviously Kyler's a very small guy. He's like 5'9", 5'10", just above 200 pounds. He was heavily reliant on the fact that he was an incredible rusher and that added a lot of his impact. And I'm not saying he's a bad passer. He is obviously a great pocket passer as well. But with the guy of his stature, someone who has to go down every time there's a defensive lineman around and just kind of give up a free sack, uh, 
because of how small he is, someone who may not necessarily be able to throw like intermediate passes because of lack of vision, you do really want to see that explosiveness and that uh, athleticism that we've always seen out of Kyler. So the biggest question mark is how is that going to return uh, off this torn ACL? And we've seen kind of both ends of the spectrum with a lot of different players in recent years. I mean, we have gotten to the point where there are people who return from ACL injuries and are just completely the same player. And Kyler is young enough to where that may end up happening. However, there is a uh, there is a chance that that isn't the case. And he has already been kind of declining in terms of athleticism and speed because he chose to bulk up, which I do agree is a smarter decision. But if this uh, kind of slows that down even more, uh, we're looking at a Kyler Murray that may not be as effective kind of going into the end stages of his like rookie contract period. Uh, he's going to need to, the Cardinals are going to have to decide if they're going to commit to him long-term or maybe move on from him. And I think it's going to be kind of a weird second half of the season, him figuring out how to return, especially because, I mean, Given Colt McCoy and Clayton too, and we kind of know this Cardinal season is going to be a waste. I don't see them being able to keep up winning with how bad their defense is and how bad their offense is going to project to be for that first half of the season. Uh, so I'm most first and foremost very curious to see how Kyler recovers from the injury and what that team is even going to look like. Uh, but moving on from that injury and just in terms of his fit with the team, uh, I've kind of always said that he's going to need more help, especially in that offensive line front, uh, in order for them to be successful. And I'll be honest, I feel like the Cardinals have not provided that just yet. And I think that's part of the reason they're in this kind of a mess right now. And they still haven't really fixed that. Uh, in terms of a receiver, he, uh, he does have like DeAndre Hopkins, who we've all, all already seen him have a lot of success with. Uh, but I do think that Marquise Brown trade they made was disappointing last year. And overall, they don't have a lot of talent there. Uh, and that running back room, it was, it's been kind of mid for a while and they didn't really look to improve it. Uh, so fit wise, I think Kyler Murray's fit with a lot of these players is cool, but I just don't think there's enough to level of talent to support Kyler Murray. Yeah, um, I don't want to get too much into um, a summary of his season because we don't know how much he's going to yeah. play. And and um, uh, talking about him too much would be a little bit of a waste. But I do want to reference this point uh, from last year. So I've seen a little bit of stuff last year, or, or, or uh, like YouTube videos and such, about um, how he needs to improve his play because he's reliant on DeAndre Hopkins and stuff. But I think that um, the the thing is, the suspension of Hopkins was like an absolute killer to their wide receiver room. Um, they were rolling out there with Marquise Brown, who's a, a decent wide receiver too. Um, but AJ Green, I thought at this point was honestly a negative player, meaning he actually hurt the team by by playing snaps. Um, and Rondell Moore hasn't really developed too much. Um, they were at times playing Greg Dorch and Andre Bacellia, who I'm not even sure would make rosters on other teams. Um, and when DeAndre Hopkins did come back, 
uh, Marquise Brown went down. So that just immediately swapped one wide receiver two type player for maybe a higher end wide receiver two if you're more confident on him. But um, I do see some signs with regression with Hopkins. Um, so they were uh, faced with the same problem. And with with wide receiver being um, more of like a weak link system, the fact that they were putting out two weak links and, and one strong one, um, that just gave Kyler kind of no chance. And it's a direct contrast from what 2021 looked like, where they had Christian Kirk. And Christian Kirk, while not being the greatest player ever, like he's still a very strong receiver. And A.J. Green was kind of above average before falling off a cliff this year and becoming a bad player. Um, so putting Hopkins, uh, Green, and uh, Kirk on the field together was was a strong receiving combo uh, for Kyler. And it's just the depth just totally eroded last year. Um, which is kind of an ex- ex- explanatory variable for his performance, in my opinion. Um, and you addressed um, how they've looked into the offensive line. Um, I think Humphreys, Paris Johnson, uh, who they just drafted, and Kelvin Beecham are solid players. Um, I'm a little less sold on Will Hernandez, and they don't really have a strong center at all right now. Um, so the interior is still uh, a work in progress. Um, I think he does fit very well with the receivers. Um, Hopkins and him have developed chemistry on back shoulders and down the field passes. Um, and Marquise Brown is a really strong receiver in terms of um, ha- having speed to go deep and, and taking screen passes for uh, yards after catch. So, um, yeah, that's a good fit there. Rondale Moore as well in terms of that screen pass uh, ability. He's a good fit there. Um, so they've constructed this roster well around Kyler Murray's skill set. Um, but the, the interior of the offensive line does need work. Um yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on Kyler Murray. So let's get into projecting their outcomes for this year for Colt McCoy um, and Kyler Murray uh, pretty much. So what are your thoughts on Colt McCoy? And then maybe drop a little bit about Kyler Murray because there's a lot of uncertainty okay. there, but um, yeah. Yeah, so for Colt McCoy, uh, I think my projections, well, may, may or may not be, but mine are pretty low. I would probably project him to be a, uh, production um, in in terms of his medium projection, I think he'll be like a mid level backup to probably low level backup uh level player, and I could see a low end him being like a third string to maybe out of the league type depending on how he ages and how much that is affecting him, uh, and I think his high end he ends up being like a serviceable starter in the sense that he is a one of the worst, maybe 30, 31, 32. Uh, I could see him being in that range uh, if uh, things really go his way. But I think more than likely he will be uh, on kind of the back heel of his career and they're just kind of going to get slapped up uh, until Kyler returns. And in terms of Kyler, I think if we remove the context of He's missed half a season, and I look at him purely based off the second half of the season. I think when he plays, uh, I see him first coming back from injury as like an average to maybe slightly below average quarterback. And then as the season progresses, uh, maybe kind of sneaking back into that top 10 to 15 realm where he was for much of last year, in my opinion, at least. Uh and then I think if you look at his season as a whole, taking injury injuries into account as well and not just isolating the time that he will theoretically play, I think he can maybe produce low-level starter uh, production 
uh, probably beat out a couple of guys with the half of season of play if he does return to his like Pro Bowl esque form that we have been accustomed to. Uh, if he does that for about half a season or maybe like a quarter season of that and maybe like another quarter season of like average play, I could see him being like mid 20s or I mean uh, low low 20s or high 20s, I should say some or and low 30s uh, in terms of quarterback play overall. Yeah, uh, kind of agreed with your ranges there. So for Colt McCoy, um, he's probably a mid-tier backup, but projecting regression a little bit into next season, he might be a little lower than that. Um, I think his range is a little bit wider um, than what I said for Heineke because he's not in his prime anymore, um, and he could be what we saw for uh, other years of his career, or he could just fall off a cliff. So, um, yeah, a little bit of a wider range. He could be a low-end backup or kind of bad third-string type play. Um, or he could be just a solid, strong backup. Um, I think his ceiling is pretty capped because of his age. Um, and then for Kyler Murray, um, when he plays um, on a per-game basis, I think his median outcome is something like a strong starter. But if he bounces back from the injury and just plays um, the best football he's played, um, something that mirrors what he was doing at the early part of 2021 on a per game basis, then that's a high end pro bowler and pushing into like that six ish type of range. Um, if it gets a little, uh, if it's a little worse, he misses some, or he's, he's just uh, slow working back from the injury. Um, you could see a little bit more like a mid tier starter overall, or a little bit lower than that. Um, and then kind of factoring in games played, um, we just kind of throw a multiplier on it. Um, and that kind of leads you to um, somewhere in the 20s, like you mentioned. Um, Mid-20s would be my immediate projection for him with the games played accounted for, um, but it could be into the lower 20s um, or higher 20s, mm -hmm. depending on uh, how he uh, bounces back in terms of level of play on a per-game basis as well. Right. All right, so that'll wrap up our episode for this one. I uh, had a lot of fun projecting and talking about the nitty-gritty of these guys' games and how they played last year. Uh, make sure to leave a like, subscribe, do what you need to do on whatever platform you're listening on. Anything else you want to add, and we'll head out right after that. Uh, yeah, Kyler Murray's a Call of Duty merchant, and they should get rid of him soon. Uh, All right, uh, thank you guys so much for that. listening. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah, peace, peace out. Yeah, we could be